Business should be more than just driving profits. It's got to be, you know, advancing progress. You have to think about purpose as a foundation. It's not a slogan that sits in the lobby. It's actually a foundation to an infrastructure that gets established within the companies. Newark is part of our identity, and doing well for the communities in which we work and live is critical to sort of our overall view of what purpose is. This is Forces for Good, a podcast from B-Lab, the nonprofit network powering the global B Corp movement. I'm your host, Irving Chan Gomez. Driving positive impact for people and the planet takes collaboration, innovation, and inspiration. That's why we're partnering with The Known North America, one of the largest certified B corporations, to feature live conversations from the 2023 Aspen Ideas Festival. We're bringing you to the middle of this festival. So in the background, you may hear people and vehicles passing by, the occasional smoothie bike running, and the joyful voices of our fellow attendees. This special series will share groundbreaking ideas and stories about putting purpose into action. Talking about purpose-driven business is central to B-Lab, Forces for Good, the Aspen Ideas Festival, our partners at Danone, and our next guests. Rob Falson is Vice Chair at Prudential Financial and a member of the Board of Directors. Latha Reddy is Senior Vice President of Inclusive Solutions. They join me in Aspen to talk about why business impact and financial performance are often aligned. They told me about impact investments and convincing stakeholders of its merits, Prudential's foundations and community involvement in Newark, New Jersey, balancing initiatives and weathering challenges in the financial space. We began our conversation with how our guests found their way to Prudential and purpose-driven work. So my, my work is because of my personal experience. And I am the child of immigrants. Both my parents were born and raised in India. My father grew up very poor. And so his family was not connected to the formal economy. And because of that, he had a lot of barriers and obstacles uh, in his way. He worked really hard to overcome those obstacles, but he was very quick to say that he wouldn't have been successful had there not been people along the way who stepped in and lent a hand at really key moments in his life. And because of that, he was able to pursue his dream of coming to the United States. So fast forward, that was kind of an animating force in my life. And I chose to become a civil rights attorney. And that's how I began my career was around leveling the playing field and building more equitable systems. And I ultimately made my way to Prudential, who really was founded on a similar principle to create access to those who uh, were not included in that case in the financial services market. Amazing. And I want to do some follow-ups in a little bit about kind of like that transition. But Rob, can I ask you the same question? What yeah, yeah I guess from a very personal standpoint, you know, a generation removed from what Lutha just described, which is, mm -hmm. you know, it was my father that was first generation from immigrant parents, but know well the story of his growing up in Hell's Kitchen in, in New York and what it took to get out of that. And education, a theme that's very important to us around, you know, youth, opportunity youth, is what got him out of, you know, an economic cycle that otherwise could have trapped him in successive generations. And so 
come to work with Prudential. Uh, and actually, I've been with Prudential for my entire career. And as Alatha indicated, it's a company that was founded almost 150 years ago around actually helping to solve financial challenges for individuals. In that particular period of time, it was by providing basic life insurance to blue-collar workers, which at that point in the history of uh, our own country and economy didn't exist. It doesn't sound like you, you couldn't almost believe that, but it did not exist. They didn't have basic burial insurance. So from my standpoint, it's been the you know privilege of being able to work for a company that's purpose-driven and then helps to form and shape everything that we do and the work experiences that I have and the experiences that I have with coworkers. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And I think there's some follow-ups that I want to do. I think, Lara, it's really interesting to hear like kind of that shift from like civil rights into financial organization. What was that transition like and why did you choose Prudential for it? So it was a moment when I recognized that while I was doing great work as an attorney, I was really just putting a bandaid on the problems. And so I was seeing cases come through that were big, you know, dealing with big systemic issues. And I was only able to address them one case at a time or one moment at a time. And so was thinking about opportunities to get in earlier and address Mm -hmm. the origin of the issues. And so my entree into Prudential was actually through the Prudential Foundation. Mm -hmm. And so the work was more related to what I had been doing. It wasn't as jarring of a transition. (laughs) Uh, But yet and still, I was able to bring an equity lens to a financial institution. And so the fact that the body did not reject the organ says a lot about Prudential, that Mm -hmm. it was a company that was grounded and wired in that way anyway, from a value Mm -hmm. standpoint and a, a clear mission alignment. Hmm. Rob, you mentioned something really interesting that I think is going to start to get into how Prudential is different and what's this notion around purpose. So what do you mean when you say Prudential is a purpose-driven organization and what's Prudential's mission? As an organization, our belief is, just as Lutha was alluding to, that if we can connect purpose to business outcomes, we can both be successful as a company in the commercial marketplace and in the financial marketplace while creating great outcomes for our customers. Mm-hmm. I was asked a question as sort of how I look at my role, and I answered, I, I think of myself as connective tissue. Mm-hmm. Uh, my role is we have a lot of muscle and brain throughout the organization, and uh, my role is to figure out how do I bring that together in a way that results in good execution in the marketplace, uh, gets our story out there, ensures that that story is resonating with our employees, resonating with our customers, and resonating with our investors. Hmm. You know, we've been in Newark since our founding, so mm-hmm. for the 150 years. And despite the fact that, you know, Newark went through a period of civil unrest, and during that period, many other companies chose to exit from the city. And, and mm-hmm. we instead recommitted to actually staying in the city mm-hmm. because our, our sense was that, yeah, actually, Newark is part of our identity and uh, doing well for the communities in which we work and live is critical to sort of the, our overall view of what, what purpose is. Yeah, and I would just pick up on that pivotal moment that Rob mentioned where our then, you know, governing bodies, our board and our leadership decided to stay in the city. And as Rob said, not just stay, but to really commit to be a leader in the redevelopment and revitalization of the city. From that moment on, we knew that as an anchor institution in the city, we had to act holistically and So we take a broad and deep approach in the city and have invested over a billion dollars using different forms of capital, including human capital. So we've made philanthropic investments, impact investments, and leveraged the time and talent of our employees and executives to get engaged in the city to, again, help create pathways of opportunity and demonstrate that Newark can be a model of equitable and inclusive growth. Mm -hmm. And I know that as part of those efforts, there's been like support, for example, for education reform and related like youth development programs, economic and workforce development, 
arts initiatives, etc. Can you maybe give us an example of like some of the most like inspiring or some of the closest initiatives that you've done? Sure. Through this. Yeah. So one example that we're all quite proud of is it's called the Haynes Building, and it is a building that housed an iconic department store uh, mm-hmm. in Newark. And it was a destination shopping place, sort of a white glove mm-hmm. experience for families uh, over generations. And the mm-hmm. department store shuttered and for 40 years, the building lay vacant. Mm-hmm. And so it's a large footprint right in the heart of the downtown. And so it was a very visible reminder of some of the challenges that the city had been facing. Mm-hmm. And so in 2013, 2014, we decided that that was the right moment to help redevelop and revitalize that asset. Mm -hmm. And so we worked with developers, with community partners, local universities to create what is now a thriving hub in the heart of the downtown that connects the university campuses that are in Newark to the downtown businesses, to the art center, Mm -hmm. to all the local shops and restaurants. And so the building in and of itself is a mixed use building with residential and retail and the residential includes affordable housing as well mm-hmm. as market rate. And so it's been a great model of what is possible when the right players come together and act in concert. I'll give you another example. It's something that Lotha also led and uh, I'm personally quite proud of because it has to do with an alumni organization. So I'm a graduate from an undergraduate standpoint of Rutgers. And when we do these sort of investments, we do them in conjunction with other anchor collaborative right. partners in the city. And so that corridor that Lotha spoke about goes from the university to the Haines space over to our building. And then what we further did was, in the spirit of developing youth and overcoming challenges on education, we gave a $10 million grant to the university for their their Rutgers Honors Living School. And it was for tuition for Newark-based students getting into the honors program so that they did not have to worry about where's tuition going to come from. If I can get admitted into this school... You know, I don't have to worry about where the tuition is going to come from, how it's going to get paid in order to be able to participate in the program. And so we're really quite excited about what that does on a broad basis. But then, in very, you know, sponsoring the Honors Living School, not just on a broad basis, but then specifically how it can help the youth in Newark mm-hmm. uh, by creating this tuition program. Hmm. I think something that I want to like highlight from these examples and like some of the programs that you have is that it's not just for business purposes. And I think like that's some of the threats that we've seen with companies like the known companies, like the ones that we work with, where it's truly about like that community development. So creating these spaces, creating these opportunities, they might come to work for Prudential, hopefully some of the love now, but they might not, but yet like their lives and like their livelihoods can be greatly improved through some of these initiatives. So it's really, really inspiring to hear some of these examples. Something that I want to also kind of like understand, because it feels like it's interesting. You are a global company. And yet you also deploy very local initiatives. How do you balance this? And what's your approach to going about it? So we operate in several key markets around the world from a business standpoint. Right. And therefore our investments have followed. And so while local means different, right? So when we think about local, we do think about place-based and about a place wherever it may be in the world. So for mm-hmm. example, Newark, heart and soul of our company always will be. But we also have a deep presence in Rio where we have... Prudential of Brazil. And so we also have done a lot of work in Japan where we have a a very big operation. And so like that, our commitments have tracked where the business has gone. Mm -hmm. So one thing you said, Irving, that I just want to reflect on, and it's that the and of it's, you know, not just for a business purpose, there's a philanthropic. It is, but I still look at it as connected to business. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is when you're a purpose-driven company, 
there's a clear business connection to many of the things that we do to ensure that we're you know aligning to what we're trying to accomplish as an organization you know, creating financial security and access is good for individuals, also good from a business model for us. But being a purpose-driven company, even more importantly, we attract a caliber and type of talent that allows us to differentiate ourselves from others that are in the marketplace. I've always believed that talent is the only long-term sustainable differentiating competitive advantage that you have in the marketplace. Everything else can be mimicked. Talent can't be mimicked. And so if you're able to, by being a purpose-driven company, attract the best of the talent that's out there, engage them, retain them, and then have their productivity and, and impact on the business outcomes that we have, that's a competitive advantage. And that's what makes us successful. It's also what makes us resilient. So recognizing that employees are some of your critical stakeholders, yeah. how do you engage with them? What are some of those mechanisms that hopefully some of our listeners can hopefully adapt and learn from? Yeah, you know, what I'd like to do is maybe give an example of something that we've done that talks about how we're committed to our employees and how we engage with them. So like many companies, we've gone to the cloud. And when you go to the cloud, you're also using a set of tools downstream from the cloud. It's not just you're moving to the cloud, it's the way the tools associated with the cloud enhance efficiency and productivity. The challenge is, as you're making that shift, the skills that are required for the technology that we used to operate in mm. versus the technology that we're using for the future are entirely different one from the other. Mm-hmm. Our approach to it was we can make the transition and make the transition with our talent because this is great talent. They just need a different set of skills. So mm-hmm. we need to invest in upskilling and reskilling these individuals mm-hmm. in order to have the tools that we need to succeed for the, what, what our strategy was and frankly, what's the future of work for them. I think that's a great representation of how we try to, you know, engage with our employees and the kind of relationships that we build with our employees. Hmm. Fascinating. I might mention one other example, which is our business resource groups. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we have eight of them. And so they are affinity organizations for our employees. They're open to everybody. And our oldest one is going to be turning 30 years old. So they've been around oh, for wow. some time. Wow. And some of them yeah, are quite mature. Actually, all of them are quite mature. But they're an amazing forum for our employees to come together, to feel a sense of community, a sense of belonging, and to connect into the larger organization. Hmm. That's super interesting, especially hearing that it's been like going on for like 30 years. Like I feel like obviously in the last few years, like some of the ways that companies can go about supporting talent, that is one of the main things that comes up and yeah. companies are relatively new in that. And it's amazing to hear that Prudential has been doing it for. Yeah. And and I think Luff is being modest in how, you know, her team has helped to both establish and grow those groups because, you know, while others are just beginning to understand the importance of these and they're thinking about it sort of, I'll call it from kind of an HR lens, a human resources Mm -hmm. lens. We've gone so far beyond that, where we think about from a societal engagement standpoint, they help to inform and execute against how we do that. From a business agenda standpoint, when we think about things like how do we serve the black marketplace better? We use our Black Leadership Forum, which is our BRG for that population, to help inform us as to how we can do a better job in addressing the population. So we've gone from it being just an HR function to one which helps us with how we think about the positioning of purpose in society and how we think about the enablement of success within our businesses. Because we're at the Aspen Ideas Festival, let's take a short break from this conversation to hear from other attendees. We asked... How can business have a positive impact on society? Here's one that echoes Rob and Latha's point. So I think the corporations can make a huge difference because they are the new economies. They can do this by number one, 
focusing on their own employees if they just focus on how to keep my employees happy and make sure they're developing all the time not just as somebody doing a job but if they really invest in their employees i think that's a great way they can make a difference so what are some of the things or characteristics that you look into for like the businesses when you're thinking about like them being driven by purpose? So I guess a couple of things. First, you have to think about purpose as a foundation. It's not a slogan that sits in the lobby. It's actually a foundation to an infrastructure that gets established within the company. So when we talk about purpose-driven, vision-led, and rooted in resiliency, and those things all become connected to each other. So you start with a, with a purpose, and then you articulate a vision. Now, purpose is Purpose is 150 years, right? Purpose isn't right. something that changes every year or every decade. Vision changes because we have to adapt to the times. We have to adapt to economic circumstances. We have to adapt to the changes in the marketplace. But the vision needs to continually be aligned with that purpose. So we articulate a vision aligned with purpose, and then that vision then informs strategy. And then it's the execution against that strategy. So when we think about how the businesses embody purpose, they embody purpose by executing against the strategies that we articulate that are aligned to the foundation of purpose that we have within the organization. Mm. There's an impact that Prudential can have as a company, but also like the impact that it can have through the work that it does and the resources that it's deploying. Can you walk us through, first of all, like that experience and what was like some of the indicators that mentioned or like indicated that it was great to grow it and it wasn't only good from like an ethical point of view, but also like a good business decision. So the moment in time when we began to really grow our impact investments portfolio was at the time that we revamped our strategy. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about Prudential's founding mission and purpose and how that's been our through line throughout our almost, you know, our history. So, you know, the foundation was deeply involved in, in our impact investments. We're deeply focused on key community issues. And, you know, they were relevant to the business, but yet and still there was a way that we could focus even more deeply on the core issues that, you know, were core to our business, mm-hmm. namely financial security and expanding access and reach. So we created a new strategy, went to our board governing committee, and they said, great, we're in. And we were fortunate to get an increased allocation of resources. Mm-hmm. both on the philanthropic side and on the impact investment side. So that enabled us to be even more strategic, to think longer term. And by the way, Prudential's always had patient capital because mm-hmm. uh, as Rob and we always like to say, we're in the business of making and keeping long-dated promises. So we are well-suited, right, to that kind <laughs> of capital, which is why we were, yeah, came out with impact investments. You know, you may know this, we've been doing them since 1975, so right. well before the term was coined. And we've been able to keep doing them because, again, of the business impact and benefit and the societal impact. And so that sits squarely in that sweet spot. And when we could then focus those investments on things that clearly laddered into eliminating barriers to financial security, it was a real opportunity for the company and for the communities that we were investing in. And so it just took off from there. And by 2020, we had created a portfolio that had 1 billion in impact AUM. Hmm. And I think it's important because it's probably like in a lot of our listeners' minds, it's like, How do you go about balancing like what could seemingly in some cases be an opposing view, right? Of like financial performance versus impact, which 
I think it's been proven that it doesn't need to be opposing or like separate. How do you go about that? How do you go and not only going about it, but also like communicating it with some of these potential partners to also scale that impact that you're seeking. Yeah, Lothar, you may want to talk more about that, but to be very clear, I think there are, we have a range of investments that we have and, and uh, I forget the label you put on it, Lothar, but there are investments that we make where we recognize they're both, you know, they're, it's, it's a subsidy. There's a place for that and an allocation for it. We're going to give a, a, you know, a loan that's well below market rates in order to help facilitate someone, or we're going to make an equity investment and recognize that there's going to be a, you know, a below market return on that. I think catalyst portfolios, probably catalytic. The, yeah, catalytic portfolios, what you put on that. And, you know, that's an allocation of what we need to do. So not everything is going to be market-based, but what we do find is that there's a large portion of the portfolio where we can both get good returns and have a societal impact. So, Lothar, you may want to talk about those, yeah? Well, that's exactly right. And that's what's distinguished our impact investments portfolio from a lot of others, is that we did intentionally carve out a portion of that to be dedicated to things that were higher risk, but higher return from a societal mm-hmm. impact standpoint. So higher risk financially, but higher return socially. And then, as Rob was saying, right, the a big bulk of the portfolio were in assets that, you know, we knew were going to generate a strong return. So, again, the risk return profile. We're different on those, but we're strong. You know, I'd say what we did, though, was really go about building markets. So if you think about charter schools, for example, Prudential was one of the first investors into the charter school market. We did working capital loans early on, mortgage facilities, financing, right, capital. And then it grew from there. And ultimately, grew so much that they can access capital from mainstream markets, right? They don't need our capital anymore. And that was the goal. So we could do that and then, and continue lending, but at higher rates, right? And then move on to other sectors that weren't as well-developed. And so that's what we continue to be in the business of doing. And, And with the move that Rob mentioned into our investment management business, it's the opportunity for us to now demonstrate how you can maintain fidelity to impact at scale. Mm. I think this is a really good segue when you think about like the impact that you're having on people and Prudential has been a partner to B-Lab as well in a way like to allow us to scale the work that we do and continue to push businesses to continue to do better. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you decided to support like B-Lab as an organization and the mission that we have? Sure. So you know, we're fundamentally investing in leaders and their vision and, and the mission of their organization. And so with B-Lab, it was a pretty easy conversation and decision because of the alignment of credentials, right? Leadership and vision and mission and B-Labs. And we as a company have been fortunate to benefit from great governance. And so, mm-hmm. right, a set of board members over time and executive leadership over time that have always understood the mandate that they had when they were carrying that mantle to continue, right, the tradition of engagement and of leading a business in a way that was about that original promise that business should be more than just driving profits. It's got to be, you know, advancing progress. And mm-hmm. so, Again, complete right alignment there. So the ability to invest in an entity that was helping create an enabling environment for businesses who wanted mm-hmm. to do that exact same thing was a pretty easy decision. Mm. Amazing. And thank you. <laughs> I've been at the organization for about seven years now, and it's been amazing to see the growth and learning about like some of that initial investment that allowed us to be to where we are today. I think something that I wanted to ask you we're obviously live at the Aspen Ideas Festival. Why it is important for you to be here? And what are some of the ideas that either you're taking with you or that you would like to leave our audiences with? I'll start and let them maybe jump in. So 
It's an opportunity for exchange of ideas and development of ideas and forums around education. And so it's very powerful from that standpoint. And from a very personal standpoint, it's, you know, being in forums where you're hearing how other leaders are articulating how they're approaching purpose in my particular case, some of the things that I've been participating in, you know, it's you sit and you take notes and you listen. And then I find myself actually repeating some of the things that they were saying, because it's so resonated with me. It's like, yeah, that's exactly how I think, but you said it a lot better. Um, and, uh, and so there's a development, both of the narrative, but there's also a development of the thinking because you're hearing what others are doing and say, well, we should try that. And so I think that's the power of bringing people together around sort of a common outcome. Hmm. I think personally, it's my first time at Aspen. So it's been like really interesting to see like the power of gathering in a more intentional way. And I think it's been an amazing experience. I think just to close this up, if you could leave our listeners, which are leaders in businesses or people within organizations that are also trying to affect change about how they can to be a force for good, what would that be? Think about that is not an activity that's a standalone activity separate and apart from the identity of the organization. Think about how you integrate it into the business model and into the culture of the organization. And then it will become self-propagating. It will allow you to attract the type of talent that's going to, you know, it's going to engage that talent and empower that talent in a way that's going to actually make the business that you're in more successful in the long term. Mm-hmm. That would be my advice. The issue that we've been thinking a lot about is trust and how we as leaders, both within our institution, create trust, right? A a pact of trust with our employees and certainly externally our partners and colleagues. But we know that our ability to do the work and to be effective in creating the change that we want to see is based on trust. And so that community trust becomes really important. And I think it's something for all of us to think about is how we build that trust, earn that trust and maintain that trust going forward. Amazing. I want to thank you both for being here today. It's been an incredible pleasure. Irving, we've covered a broad landscape, so I think it's been terrific. Yeah. Thank you for that. Likewise. Thank you. This is a special series from Forces for Good, featuring conversations recorded at the 2023 Aspen Ideas Festival and in partnership with Danone. If you'd like to learn more about B Corps and purpose-driven companies, visit bcorporation.net and listen to the rest of our season. We'll have more episodes about how business can drive positive impact and be a force for good. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Your ratings and reviews help Forces for Good reach new audiences. So we thank you for your support. For more opportunities to engage with us, follow us on social media. The views and opinions expressed are those of the interviewees and do not reflect the positions or opinions of the producers or any affiliated organizations. This podcast was brought to you by B-Lab and Danone. Our team includes Sherry Jordan and Erin Brooks. Forces for Good is produced by Human Group Media. I'm your host, Irving Chan Gomez. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to catching you in the next episode.